Well, good morning, y'all, and happy Lord's Day. Thank you. <clears throat> Guys, today is this wonderful feast of the Epiphany, the, uh, I guess you say, the revelation of God as King. That's what it stands, what it means, Epiphany. You know, it was a really cool experience I had this past week, um, just to share, share it with you. I was over at the hospital. Uh, a buddy of mine, um, a few months ago, a couple months ago, had a stroke, and uh, so he was at the hospital having some more tests done. And, um, you know, we were in the back, and you're getting prepped and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they came in, and they were like, well, look, it's going to probably be about another hour before we come in and take him to, you know, roll him to the back. So I was like, cool. So I was like, dude, look, I got to go and get some coffee. <laughs> so uh, I'll be back in in a few minutes. So I left his room, went out into the little foyer, and I started talking to some of our parishioners. Their daughter was there having a, a surgery on her jaw. Talked to them for less than about five minutes, and then all of a sudden, one of our other parishioners comes walking up. And he said, excuse me, Father, um, my brother's upstairs in the ICU. He said, uh, he probably isn't going to make it through the day. Can you come and pray with us? It's like, absolutely. So I went and got my oils <clears throat> to do the anointing of the sick, and I went upstairs and, uh, and, and prayed with the family, and I anointed this gentleman who was dying of cancer, and um, it was just a really cool experience, Right? And he did pass away uh, early the next morning. And I, um, so I was reflecting on this. And it was just cool. It was a gift. And what I realized was the scandal of particularity. Sometimes God's particular grace can be scandalous. Like, think about it. How he orchestrated that whole event. Me going to the hospital at the time that I went. Me using my addiction to coffee to get me out of the... <laughs> out of the room from my friend and going at that moment talking to some of our parishioners he sees me and then I go upstairs and give him the anointing of the sick the sacrament of the church the sacrament that forgives sins and escorts him into heaven <laughs> like all of that would have not happened had any of those moments not taken place if I'd have been five minutes before or five minutes later I may have not been able to go up to that room and anoint him it's an incredible gift and it just blew my mind how God knows us so intimately, so well. He knows exactly what we need. But it's not always, sometimes we think it's what I need physically here. Most of the time, it's what we need for our eternal salvation. We get caught up on the gimme gimmies of this world, but really, he, God's going, no, this world is good. These are beautiful gifts in this world. That's awesome. But I want you to put your eyes on heaven. And God's interested in that, eternal life with him. And so it's just a cool gift um, a moment that I won't forget. Brings me to the gospel today, this gifts, the gifts of the Magi, right? There's a few characters that I want to talk about in this, uh, this reading. The first character is Herod, right? Who was Herod? Well, historically, Herod was a pretty demented fella. Uh, Herod wasn't, he was the king of Judah, right? But he wasn't the legitimate king. He was a puppet king, right? What do I mean by that? It means that he wasn't the one that was in line of the royal throne. He wasn't even a Jew. So he was reigning as a king put in place by the powers that be because they could control him. But he knew in the back of his mind that he wasn't the real king. And that one day someone was going to come and debunk him and kick him off the throne. Because he didn't have the royal bloodline. So Herod begins living this really bizarre lifestyle. 
in fear of losing his throne, Herod killed his wife and killed his own children out of fear of losing the throne, right? So historically, he's just a real wicked dude, right? And so he hears the Magi knocking on the doors, where's the newborn king of the Jews, the king of Judah? And he's like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm the king of Judah. What are you talking about? A king is born, he's going to kick me off my throne? Oh, come inside, let me ask you a couple questions. So he calls these Magi inside. Now who are these Magi? That's the second part. A lot of times we think that Magi, we say, well, that's the three kings. That's what we oftentimes think in the nativity scene. The three kings came and gave gifts. That's actually not true. <laughs> they weren't kings. And I know we sing that song every year for Christmas. We three kings of Orient are. It's a heresy. There's no such thing as three kings. Okay? Um, <laughs> they... <laughs> I'm sorry, Connor. <laughs> he loves that song. I apologize. We can sing it, though. I don't mind. But we got to realize, <laughs> we got to realize they were magi. comes from the word magician, right? They were stargazers. They were astrologers. They were part of the court of the king. The king would have had them there because they were wise men. He would seek their counsel. Um, but they were not a king, so to speak. And so that's who these men were, but they always sought wisdom. They sought wisdom. They were the people that you would go to for great spiritual advice. So that's who those guys were. And they looked at the signs of the sky, and they saw a star that had come out. And they recognized, oh, that's a different star. And they recognized, in short, that that star was a star that would announce the birth of the king of Judah, Judea, right? And so they begin searching. Where's that king? We want to do him homage. And that's whenever they enter into this conversation with Herod. And Herod says, okay, what I want you to do, wise men, is I want you to go and I want you to find the little newborn king. And I want you to come back and tell me where he's at so that I can go and give him homage. And that's really not what he wanted to do. If you keep reading, what he wants to do is he wants to kill the newborn king. And so the, the wise men don't go back and talk to him. And so what happens is Herod gets furious and he says, well, look, he's going to be within the two years. And so we're going to slaughter all the male two-year-old children in this given region. That's the kind of man Herod was. Killed all the males two years old and younger because he was afraid to lose his throne. Okay, now the third thing, the star. This star fascinates me, Right? is a central figure in the nativity scene, right? You always have this beautiful star shining down on the manger. Um, the star is, uh, the fathers of the church say that the star was probably an angel. Why would they say that? Didn't have wings. <laughs> Didn't have a halo. Well, the star, if you, if you read the scripture, says whenever they came out, they saw the star. Um, and the star which they had seen in the east went before them. The star started moving. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a star move, except for a falling star. But I've never seen a star just constantly move and move and move and move. And it guided them to where they needed to go. I think that would be really cool, right? I mean, imagine seeing the star and it's like, it starts to move and you're like, okay, let me go run over here. And it moves. You're like, okay, let me go over here. And it moves over here. Like this star is moving back and forth. And that's why the fathers of the church say it was an angel that was guiding them along the way. Right? Now, the, the, there's a couple of prophecies about this. Whenever Herod asked, where's this newborn king going to be born? 
Well, the, the star's going to mark the spot. But the, the wise men quote the prophet Micah from the Old Testament. That's what they say. They say, And you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, from you shall come the ruler who is to govern my people Israel. So there was a prophecy about, from Micah about this newborn king in Judah. But there's also a prophecy about a star that's going to accompany him. I just learned of this star the other day when I was preparing for the homily, and it blew my mind. I got so excited about it, and it was in a place I would have never, ever guessed a prophecy was going to be. It's in the book of Numbers, right? And I know y'all all started reading Numbers at the beginning of Advent, right? It's a wonderfully boring book. Um, if you ever try to read the Bible from Genesis all the way through, you normally stop in the book of Numbers because you're like, oh man, it's Numbers, Right? I was always afraid of numbers. We studied it in the, in the seminary, but I didn't like the book of numbers because numbers freaked me out. Right? I failed remedial math three times. But um, <laughs> numbers has a prophecy. Check it out. It's called the prophecy of the star. I can't back up too, too far because it would take too long. But just listen. It's about the prophecy of the Messiah. And this is what he says. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near a star shall come forth out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel. So the prophet Micah, I mean the, the prophet who's writing numbers, is telling us that there's, they see him, they see the Messiah in a vision. And there's a star that's going to come out of Judah, and there's going to be a scepter, the king's scepter, right? His ruling scepter. The king is going to rise. But he's not going to rise until you see the star. So when you see the star, look for the king. And if you, someone says that they were the king, but there was no star that accompanied them, they're not the king. The newborn king of Judah has got to have the star associated with him. Super important to understand what it is that we're celebrating here. So this star does its job, right? It leads them along the way. And what's it lead them to? The Christ. Leads them to the king. And it's an crazy, crazy uh, encounter that happens. It says, they come into the house, they see Mary and the baby Jesus, so they're no longer in the cave, they're no longer in the manger, they're in a home. They open the door, they see Mary and the child Jesus. And look what it says. It says, they saw them and they fell down and they worshipped him. And they opened up their treasures. That's a bizarre way to greet a newborn baby, right? Think about it. Whenever parents in here, whenever you had your, your child, when they held that little baby up and they gave, did you fall down in the delivery room and worship the baby? <laughs> I would have probably fallen out and passed out, but it wouldn't have been in a sign of worship. These guys saw the newborn king and it says they fell down and they worshiped him. That's crazy. No one falls down and worships a little baby. But they recognized in this baby that he was the newborn king of the Jews. He was the Messiah, the one who was to come. They recognized he was the one that was going to fulfill all the prophecies. They recognized that this is the one that the star was going to be there for. And he was going to rise up in Jerusalem as the great king. They saw it. They understood it. And their actions followed. They didn't just go, wow, that's a really cool experience. I think that's kind of neat. I'll talk about this to my grandkids. You see, the star had a purpose. But the star had to go away. They couldn't focus on the star. Why? Because the star revealed to them what was the most important thing. That was the Christ. And I was thinking in my own life, 
maybe in your life, what's our stars? Have you ever had a star in your life? Maybe it was a person that brought you to God, to Jesus, who reveals Jesus to you. Maybe it's people in our lives, and I was in my holy hour this morning, I was thinking about that. There's people in my life who have been a star for me. They brought me to Jesus. It wasn't about them. They just brought me to Him so I could learn how to worship Him, live for Him. There's also stars in our lives, right? Those moments that we have retreats or conferences. Those, those moments where we've been in adoration or and we felt the presence of God. It's a star moment. It's also maybe other joyful moments, maybe even some suffering in our lives, trials, tribulations that we've gone through that have led us to Jesus. And most of the time, if you're anything like me, usually in the, in the sufferings, in the trials of life, that's when we cling to Him the most, isn't it? That's when we, we run to Him and we're, we're closest. He says, I'm close to the brokenhearted, close to those who suffer. Yeah. Those are star moments. God is revealing himself to us somehow in those moments, right? And so these magi recognize it's not about the star, it's about who the star points to. And they were so convicted by this, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Another one of the gospels says they were warned and said that Herod wanted to kill the kid. And says, so they departed from their own country by another way. This was a great inconvenience. It would have been easy for them to go from one spot to the next, point A to point B, but because they had to go through Herod's land, they went around the whole country <laughs> and ended up getting to where they needed to be. You see, these wise men recognized that they had experienced something and someone so great that they weren't going to go back to the same old ways of their own lives. Yeah, a buddy of mine sent me this really cool quote the other day. It reminds me of the Magi. He says, you need a goal so noble and a cause so great that you wouldn't dream of endangering it by laying down your sword and leaving the battlefield. These magi found a cause so noble, so great, this Christ child, that they weren't willing to go back the old way that they had come. They weren't willing to go back and put this Christ child in danger of being killed by Herod. They found this, this cause so great, they weren't going to put down their sword. Actually, it was the exact opposite. They picked up the sword and they entered the battlefield of what now was going to be the greatest epic of human history. That the God-man became a baby, he becomes king, he's going to rule, he's going to kick Satan off of his throne, he's going to die for us, he's going to rise from the dead and open up the gates of heaven. The greatest epic of human history is whenever the Christ child comes to us and he sets up his throne within our hearts and that throne has got to be reigned by him and him alone and, and we got to fight sometimes for that throne, right? We have to begin to work on those actions of virtue and love and patience and things in our family lives, right? We have to begin to practice those things. That means that he's sitting upon our hearts. He's enthroned as king. And so this great battle begins in the Magi's life. They realize that this great treasure is now in danger. And they would do everything they can to protect it. And I couldn't help but think in my own life, have I ever placed the sword down and walked off the battlefield? What battle, Father? The battle for my soul. That's the battle. <laughs> the battle for our families. The battle for my parish. Have I ever set the sword down and walked off the battlefield? 
If we have, we need to pick the sword back up and begin to enter back into that battle for the salvation of our souls and turn to Him who is going to be our strength and our rock and our refuge, who's going to be the one to give us everything we need in order to pass through those battles within our own lives. Every king in the Old Testament would lead his people to battle. This king's no different, except it's not an earthly battle. It's going to be a battle for our souls. It's not a battle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities. And so let us enter into that battle, pick the sword back up. If we've placed it down and begin to, to defend, protect that which is most noble in our lives. And so today, what's our gifts? The wise men encountered him and they offered gifts. What's the gift that we offer? We open up our hearts to the Lord. We offer the gifts to him, right? It's not maybe gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it's our own actions, our own love, our own, you know, our friends, our family that we offer to him, that we fight for, that he's given to us. And so in this Mass today, come with grateful hearts today. This great gift, the Feast of the Epiphany, God revealing himself to us and that great gift that he is to us. Amen.